podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Karen Matchett. How are you, sir? Gleaming with the smile of a silverware. How about yourself? I am tremendous, tremendous champions of Carabao and marching on in the FA Cup. What could be wrong? Taki Minamino is my hero. I hope he's yours as well. He has been mine for many a year and uh, I was I was actually... Beaming with joy um, after his second goal the other night because I remember predicting that he would score 10 goals for us this season. And then at full time, I remembered that was actually my prediction for last season. And then he was loaned out halfway through. So that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got nine for the season. That's the same amount as Romelu Lukaku if we remove Lukaku's World Club Cup goals. Um, he's got more goals on his own than Grealish and Sancho combined in about a quarter of the minutes that they've played. Uh, is it fair to say that Taki Minamino is football's next £100 man? Well, as I said in a, a particular post-match piece, if he could just play against you know the dross of the league like Norwich every single week, then he'd be willing the player of the year, the Ballon d'Or and the Golden Boot all to himself. I, I love seeing it. I love seeing how, how he's kind of kicked on... He seems more in tune with the team now. He seems to be more confident in his own ability. You can see that in the way he's striking the ball. You can see it in his movement, his anticipation of where others are going to play the ball to him. They've gotten a better understanding of him. Thankfully, it's it's all coming together at the right time for him and for us. Um, we have a couple of questions, and we'll start with them before we discuss this weekend's upcoming game with West Ham United. So we'll start with Ali's question. Um, if the build report of Bayern becoming a selling club is to believed, is to be believed, who would be a player that you would like us to target? Give us a dream target and a realistic one. Maybe a succession plan with one of our players to be replaced with a younger one from there. So I'll, I'll let you go first on this. Give me your dream signing, your realistic one, and if neither of those are like a long-term succession plan, Give me one of them as well. So a very interesting um, possibility if it does happen, of course. And I kind of think it's not a million miles removed from what Bayern have been doing previously anyway. They, you know, they keep hold of their players. But if they do sell someone, it's you know it's usually for pretty decent money. And they just go and plunder the rest of the league and the rest of Europe for, for lower cost anyway. And free transfers, of course, which they love. So I don't think it's without the realms of possibility or even that it involves that much of a sea change for them. But what I would say, in terms of Liverpool buying anyone from them, we took Thiago from them already. I'm not sure that there has to be 
a dream signing in the way that we used to say it. You know, we'd love this player, but it's not realistic. I think once you've taken somebody like that, other than maybe the German players who simply don't want to leave Germany and play for the biggest club in Germany, I don't think anyone's off the table for us, really. Um, there are obviously financial limitations to some of them, but I don't honestly think that in terms of trophies and success and uh, cachet, the team that they're playing for and all the rest of it, I don't think Liverpool's off the table for necessarily anybody. With that said... I think their best, most important player is still Joshua Kimmich. And I'm not 100% sure that there's an absolute role in the team for him. I mean, he would obviously be the right-sided eight, but I don't think that's necessarily the one that gets the very, very best out of him. So I would probably go for Alfonso Davies. I think he's got the most upside long-term, mm. You know, assuming obviously he recovers from the um, high inflammation that he has at the moment with no long-lasting issues or anything. Maybe he wasn't as hot this season as he was last year, but overall, I mean, he's a stunning player. Obviously gives us great left-back long-term security. can certainly be used further forward in the shorter term if we need to. Uh, obviously, there are realistic limitations there in that he would want to play every single week, and right now, that's probably not going to be the case. No, well, right, right now, he'd be third choice behind the best left-back in the world, Andy Robertson, and the second best left-back in the world, Costa <laughs> Simicus. So, you know, he'd slot in nicely behind them. Uh, Davies is, is is almost certainly the answer here. Um, it still bothers me that we didn't sign him when we had the opportunity. We had the lead on getting him from Vancouver. Uh, Andy O'Brien, former Vancouver legend, was scouting for us at the time. We were watching him, and we allowed Byron to jump in and get him. And... Look, he wouldn't be the same player if he joined us as he is with them because he joined them as a winger. We may not have moved him into a fullback spot. He he might have been developed as a front three player. He would have been behind quality options. He only really got his run at Bayern because they had an injury crisis at centre-back and David Alaba got put into centre-back to solve that problem and Davies came in at left-back, but he has developed into a hell of a player. The other young one that you'd want would be Jamal Musiala, who's a phenomenally gifted player. Um, he could maybe play as the right side at eight in our team, though he is more kind of a final third player. Uh, Kimmich is, is, like you said, Kimmich and Leroy Sané would be the two I'd look at, but I don't think you'll ever get either of them out of Germany. And there's also the fact that, yeah, we could sign them. Find out, like the, the fee wouldn't be an issue. The wages might. Sane's rumoured to be on £350,000 a week. Uh, Kimmich is probably on similar. And we're not paying that to anybody. And the the only player at our club who might get that is Salah, who by this summer will have been at the club five years. You know, we're not going to pay that to somebody walking in off the street. So, yeah, like you, I, I'd probably go with Davies 1 and Musiala 2. Um, question from Harry Welchie. I see a lot about how great this Liverpool team is, and rightly so, but here are three of my favourite Liverpool players. Oh, can I just say, if you were to buy Kimmich, you just slot Fabinho back to centre-back, and him and Virgil are the best centre-backs in the world, and Kimmich just runs the show in midfield next to Thiago. Um, but anyway, uh, here are my fi- three favourite players from the last 15 years, years or more. If they were at their peak... How and where do they fit into this current 4-3-3 Liverpool side, or don't they? Can't just shoehorn them in. Need the balance. Need the 11 to balance. The three players are Philippe Lam, Andreas Iniesta, 
and Kaka. Now, I think you can play Iniesta or Kaka as the right-sided eight and give them freedom to attack. Iniesta obviously would fit like a glove in a midfield with Thiago and Fabinho. It'd be a similar type of thing to what he had with Xavi and Busquets. Um, Kaka is a more attack-minded player, but when we play Harvey there, he's a very attack-minded player. And Kaka, I think, would be pretty sensational in that role. I don't know that Philippe Lam would fit into this team. As a right-back, he was outstanding. But he couldn't replicate what Trent does for us. As a left-back, when he was at Stuttgart on loan, he was also outstanding. But again, he wasn't like Andy Robertson in that he wasn't just endless movement up and down. Now, maybe he could play that role. Maybe that would be where you'd play him. But at Stuttgart, he would always come in field in his right foot and, and act as a kind of a playmaker, a bit similar to what we see Joao Canseo do now. And then, obviously, under Pep, he played as a holding midfielder. He doesn't get in as a holding midfielder over Fabinho. So I'm not sure Philippe Lam fits in, but I think the other two could play as the right-sided eight, and Kaka could also play as the left-sided forward, if needed. Yeah, pretty much in agreement with all of that. The only two additions I would make would be Kakao obviously could play as a nine. I loved him when he was a second forward mm. in, in the Milan and then the Orlando and in the, even with Madrid as a second striker where they played two up top and uh, it was basically a number nine and then Kakao going wherever the hell he wanted. Um, so I do think he could play that because we tend to have our other two wide forwards pretty narrow, pretty, pretty much running in behind all the time. So... I don't see any issue with that. A lot of the time we we look out of possession and where Firmino goes and all the rest of it as a diamond anyway. Uh, I think that's pretty much going to be the same with Mane being there now as well. And of course, that is where he played earlier on in his career with with, uh, with Milan at the peak of a diamond as well. Yeah. Lamb, I wonder whether, you know, if, if it was the case that he was coming to Liverpool after, let's say, after being in midfield with Bayern, I wonder whether he would be Thiago as like the... the playmaking central midfielder but who dropped in as part of a two-man midfield because I don't think he would be the defensive midfielder in the way that Fabinho plays the role now as an actual defensive midfielder uh, breaking everything up and the positional play and all the rest of it he's much more someone to get on the ball to be positionally perfect and to make sure that nobody ever touches the football again so I see him much more as, as the Thiago option than anywhere else that's fair that's fair I think he could he could play in a midfield three with Fab and Thiago, um, it would be, you know, a very control-orientated midfield. Um, and again, nobody would ever get the ball off him. Nobody would ever get past him. So you could play him there, and that would give Trent the cover he's been desperately missing for the last four years from that right-sided midfield role. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think Iniesta and Kaka are upgrades on what we have as great as Lamb is, and as a right-back, as a pure right-back, he's a better right-back than Trent, but he doesn't do what Trent does, and Trent is redefining what it is to be a right-back, so you would go with Trent there. Um, I I love Philip Lamb, but yeah, he's the one I don't think gets into this team. Um, I've just noticed there's some disparaging comments being made in the chat by Steve P. Young Drinkle, and Willology uh, regarding 
my timekeeping. Uh, I'll just point out the reason I was late today is because I was recording the two footed podcast, which you can hear at 4 p.m., assuming Guy has it out in time. Uh, but yeah, the, that's why I was late today. But 42 minutes seems high. I must go back and check where points have been added on. Um, anyway, Sandeep has a question. Can I ask my question about the midfield that we do need drastic changes as the performance on Sunday? Sh- I think it's as the performance on Sunday shows. I would say we need one more like Chuameni rather than Henderson as a six. So he's suggesting perhaps, I think, to bring in an eight and a Chuameni type who's that more defensive presence. Now, I would say I agree. I would much rather have, if Fabinho's out, Chuameni playing there than Jordan Henderson. But what I would say is if you bring in Chuameni, you can play him and Fab and Thiago together. And then if either Fab or Thiago are out, he can fill in for either of them. He can play as the kind of controlling number eight, or he can play as the holding midfielder. If you play him with the two of them, you get, I suppose, a better version of what we saw at the end of last season when the midfield was Thiago, Fabinho and Ginny, which to me is about as good as our midfield has looked under Klopp for an extended period, I thought that midfield was absolutely fantastic together. The control that they put on games, teams couldn't do anything against them. When those three were together, we looked fairly unbeatable, and we went unbeaten in that 10-game run. And a large part of it was just how good they were. So I would say Chiumeni could start but also act as the fill-in for Fab and Thiago, allowing the likes of Elliot Jones, Naby if he sticks around, and whoever else is there to get minutes. But Chiumeni, for me, would be the number one midfield target this summer. What, what do you think of the midfield situation ahead of the I, summer I don't window? Think it needs, I don't think it needs drastic changes at all. I mean, we went into that cup final with eight midfield options, right? For three spots now, if you can assume that either James Milner either either departs or plays an increasingly limited role, so either way, I don't think he needs replacing as such because um, you know if we go by the usual thing that we used to do of of who's going to fill in the minutes that we lose, who's going to fill in the goals that we lose, all that kind of thing. You would expect Harvey Elliott, given that he was in the team at the start of the season, will play more next season because he's been injured this year. So I don't think that Milner needs direct replacing even if he leaves. I would imagine this year might be the year that Oxlade-Chamberlain departs because it's looking more and more difficult for him to get any kind of sustained run and that's what he needs to be near his best. So I wouldn't be surprised if he goes. And if that is the case, then you got the one coming in then. And if we have one coming in who is you know, a too many level player, who is a starting caliber player for now and years to come, and you're replacing a squad option basically who departs, that's a big upgrade in terms of your options for any given match straight away. You've got, you've, you've removed one of the, the bottom rungs and put a new, even higher one uh, at the other end. So it's very, very difficult then <clears throat> when everybody's fit and available to keep all of those first team caliber players in the first team. Now, whatever about you, you know, people's listening opinion of uh, Cater or Henderson or Curtis Jones, even because I know you, for example, said a, a few times, perhaps he'll need a loan spell or anything like that. I think that there's not enough scope to bring in more than one new face to that midfield group when you're still considering that Harvey Elliott is 
you know, a, a very, very young, inexperienced player. Mm. He's going to play a lot more as the next couple of seasons go on. I 100% think Curtis Jones is still going to play a massive role going forward and will get a lot more games going forward. So if you want those to become more regular, more consistent, more dependable midfield players, they've got to be able to do that. And you can't do it if you bring in a Chiuameni and a somebody else as well. And you've still got to get game time for the captain. And even if Thiago and Keita stay and Henderson stays and all three of them pick up their own injuries, it was unusual that we went into the final with all eight midfielders fit. Um, we would not normally have fit players left out of an entire match day squad, let alone one as important as the final. So it was really bad luck and bad timing for, for Curtis Jones from that regard, and initially for Harvey Elliott, obviously, as well. Um, I also would say that with regards to the, the midfield performance on Sunday in particular, in isolation, that game, you can't just take that as the judge for next season because Harvey Elliott's just coming back off a long-term injury. He had a good first uh, sub-appearance or two back, but hasn't been quite as sharp since then. He's not been quite on the uh, attacking wavelength of some of the rest of the team. He doesn't so look as confident, think... Carl. He doesn't look no, as confident and, and, as, yeah, as he did. But that's normal, natural. He just had his yeah, ankle yeah. snapped in half. Yeah, exactly. So, and and he is still a young player and he's going to be prone to the the ups and downs in, in confidence and in rhythm and consistency and all the rest of it that comes with it. We saw it with Jones when he was breaking through to a very lower level. We saw it with Jay Spearing when he was breaking through. There were some games where he you know, got stuck into the tackles and all the rest of it and sprayed the passes around and people were like, oh my God, we got a new Steven Gerrard. And then the next game it was like, oh my God, we got a new Salif Diao. And and that's what happens with young players, okay? They can play at their best a little bit and then they can play at their worst a little bit. And eventually you hope that when they level out to whatever their consistent level is, that that's going to be of a reasonably high level. But you're going to get that with Elliot for now. You're going to get it with Jones still for now. And even if we bring in Chiumeni, you're going to get it a little bit with him because then you're going to have all the things like you know, moving to a new team and new country and all the rest of the stuff that we have with transfers. So I don't think that there's scope or reason to make sweeping changes in midfield whatsoever and definitely, definitely never off the back of one performance. No, I mean, look, the only... Harvey came on in a difficult situation. He wasn't expecting to to be involved at all. And he was sent on in the 75th minute into a fairly frenetic game. But he didn't play badly. He was okay. I thought the captain had a poor game. I thought the vice captain had a poor game. But we expect that from them. That's that's the norm from those two. You look at next season, right? Take that eight, okay? So Fab will be here. Thiago will be here. Henderson will be here. Harvey will be here. Of the other four, I think there's doubts over whether any of them are at the club next year. Now, Curtis, if he leaves, it would be a loan. It would not, he will not be sold, and he, nor should he be sold. But it may be a thing that he wants more games, he wants more minutes, and he wants to be starting regularly. And maybe we want him starting regularly as the next phase of his development. And if, if so, that's fine. I think, like you, I think Ox is gone. I think Ox will go in the summer. I think we'll get decent enough money for him because he's English and he's still technically in his prime years. I think Milner goes. I don't think he'll be given a new contract. I don't believe there's been any sort of indication that he will. Klopp says a lot of things about wanting everybody to stay, but he said all the same things about Ginny Wijnaldum. He said all the same things about Emre Chan. He said all the same things about Adam Lallana. The only real reporting that we have heard came before Klopp's comments 
And that was from Neil Jones. And he said, James Milner will leave the club this summer. So that's where it stands. Fabrizio Romano, the spoof for himself, suggesting that Milner had been offered a one-year extension. That's a lie that Romano has made up. Now, he may get offered a contract in time, but I think if he does, it'll be a pay-as-you-play deal. And he's doesn't play a whole lot anyway. Interesting James Milner fact for you, Carl. Well, more of a question, a little bit of a trivia. James Milner, in his career, has been involved in nine major finals. Champions League, Europa League, FA Cup and League Cup finals. Okay. How many of them do you think he started? Two? Four. Yeah, more than I would have expected, to be fair. League Cup with us. FA... uh, League Cup with us. League Cup with uh, Villa. Champions League with us. Europa League with us. Started them all. Lost them all. He has never won a cup final in which he started. He's won two of them, without three of them, in fact, without coming off the bench at all. No, two of them. Two of them without coming off the bench at all. The two at City. Uh, he has never won a cup final in which he started, which is quite remarkable for nine finals. Anyway, uh, I think he goes. I think Ox goes. And I think there's a big question mark over whether Naby stays because with a year left in his contract, if we extend him, you're going to be paying him more money. He hasn't he hasn't proven he's worth more money. Now, I love Naby, as you know. I'm one of his biggest supporters. But you do just wonder if it, it gets to a point where maybe everybody just says, look, it's been good. It hasn't been what we hoped. Let's all cut our losses. Let's take 25, 30 million, whatever we can get for Naby, and move him on. And if he looks at it and says, you know what? Let me go to a league that's not going to be as physically demanding, where I'm not going to be picking up injuries all the time, and I'm going to be able to have, you know, more of a career than I have had for the last four years. Um, I do wonder if maybe there's a possibility Naby could be sold. If Naby goes, there's no chance Curtis goes on loan, and I think we will buy a second midfielder. Because if we're losing three, I think you'd want to bring in two. So you'd reduce from eight to seven. But I don't think there's any chance you reduce from eight to six. You know, if Naby went, you're left with a midfield of Thiago, Henderson, Fabinho, Elliot, Jones, and a new signing. That's not an ideal situation at all. I think you'd have to bring in one more. Uh, now, maybe that they see Fabio Carvalho as a midfield option. I don't know. Who knows? Um, strikes me as maybe more of a front third, a front three player, but who knows? Could be the right side at eight. Could compete with Harvey there for that role. But I think if Naby goes, we will bring in another one. Um, but we definitely need to bring in one anyway. And like I say, I think you'll see Milner and Ox go and uh, and head on about whatever business they want to attend to elsewhere. Well, if Nat Phillips gets offered a new deal with one year left on his contract, I think Cater will, even if it's just a prison. Yeah, but Nat Phillips got offered a new deal because no one wanted to buy him, Carl. Because despite all the fluff and bluster from James Pearce and all the rest, there was not a queue of clubs lining up to sign him. And I don't think there will be for Cater, not at that price. For £25 million? No. You'll absolutely get £25 million for Naby Cater. 
a hundred percent you'll get twenty five million for Naby Keita. When you I, see I some of the dreck that gets moved around I, Europe, I wouldn't like to accept twenty five million for Naby Keita. I'd accept it. I'd accept it. Well, what if he says no to a new contract then? Then what do you do? I can't do much about that, yeah. Keep him a year and let him leave for free. There's That's great squad management. That's as good as what we see United doing with Pogba. Take what you can get, move him on down the road, because he's never going to be a starter. And, like, there's, he's not reliable enough to be a backup physically. So there's, there's just no middle ground with it. I think you have to sell him. I do. Ox has to go and and Milner has to go either way. Um, Right, West Ham. Oh, we have Isaac Gilding has a quick question here. Which two, before we go to West Ham, if you had to take two West Ham players and swap them for two Liverpool players, which West Ham players would you take? That's a horrible question. Isaac wants to know, Carl, if you have to purposely weaken this Liverpool team in a move of pure sabotage, how would you do it? Well, I mean, I need parameters here. I mean, can I can I take Jared Bowen and give them Adrian? <laughs> no, give, no, it has to be player like, from the team. <laughs> right, so I can't like give them, you know, Reese Williams in exchange for Declan Rice. No. No, you can't. You can't give. To, can't, poor Reese Williams can't be sending him down to West Ham. He's only a boy. You'd be terrified of their lunatic fans. Uh, guy has hit the nail on the head, though. Henderson for Rice, absolutely. I'd, I'd take that. I'm not the biggest Declan Rice fan in the world, but but I'd take Declan Rice for Henderson. I think that improves us. Um. I don't really want any of the other ones. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, like, I, I, I if you could do an I'm approximation not, swap, so say we well, send them Ox and they send us, like but would you you take Vlasic over Ox, wouldn't you? Yeah, like that 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 could be a fair swap of one of your squad players for one of our squad players. But you know, like you give us Jared Bowen and we'll give you Billy Cavetio because you, you you could do another centre back there, lads. I mean, to be to be to for not to me to say this because I wouldn't do it, but you could make a case given game time and where they are in the squad and all the rest of it for Joe Gomez to be a big signing for West Ham and get a lot more football there and be probably close to as close to a star as he can be towards someone like I'm not sure maybe even a maybe like Ben Johnson. Mm. Um, who can cover both sides of defence, for example, and be, you know, a decent backup for for Trent. I do like him. I do like Ben Johnson. He's really I, I like Ben Johnson. This season. I, I still wouldn't. I still wouldn't do it. <laughs> I don't want any of this. If I got thirty-five million in Ben Johnson, I'd, I'd probably consider it. Yeah. But I'd, I'd be wanting big money for Joe Gomez because I've just seen Ben White, who can't lace Joe Gomez's boots, go for fifty million last summer. So, you know, I'd be wanting somewhere in that forty-five million pound region for Joe Gomez. I don't want Bowen. I don't think Liverpool need Rice, and I wouldn't look at the rest of them. No, I don't think they need Rice either, but he would be an upgrade. It's just he's not the right type of upgrade. He could also he could obviously look the the good thing with Rice is he can play centre back, he can play holding midfield, and he can play box to box. So he gives you cover. 
in three different roles. Um, I, I like you. I, I don't think I'd necessarily want him as a starter, but he would be a great squad player as a fourth midfielder. He'd be very good to have. But they want a hundred million for him, and well, uh, no thanks. Um, Ox and Milner for Fornals. I do love Fornals, and I would take Fornals as the right sided eight in our team. But um, I don't think they'd take on James Milner. Couldn't go play for London club anyway. Like, the world would end if James Milner went south of Birmingham. Uh, I'm, I'm looking through the squad and I'm trying to find someone else, but there's, there's not. There just isn't. There's not a whole like, lot there. It's a good like, squad like, for where they are. Yeah, I like Alex Kral, so I'd like I'd do a deal for him and, and try and actually make him a footballer again. But, again, you're, you're talking about, like, a real backup for Liverpool. Like, Yeah. Yeah, back up for Fab. Nat, Nat Phillips for Alex Kral works for me. The only problem is that Nat Phillips would then end up playing for Spartak Moscow. Um, so I don't think he'd like that all that much. Um, just on the Gomez thing, before we get into this game, what did you think of him last night? And what do you think happens with Joe? Because this is year seven for Joe at Liverpool. This is going to be the fourth year in which in all likelihood, doesn't play 10 Premier League games for us the fifth season where he won't play half the Premier League games. I think this is the first season. to go. No. Let's be clear. I do not want to sell Joe Gomez, but it wouldn't surprise me if at 24, or he'd be 25 by the summer, Gomez goes to Klopp and says, look, I'm not going to play here. I'm fourth choice. I've barely played in my career. I've played less games than Trent, who made his debut three years after I made mine at Charlton. Like, one-fifth of Joe Gomez's entire career games came at Charlton in the the 14-15 season. You know, if he went to Klopp and says, I want to be playing every single week, please let me leave. I think they would sell him. But I think he'd have to ask. I don't think they'd make the choice. I think he'd have to ask. But it wouldn't surprise me if he asked out. Possibly not. I I think that this is the first season where Gomez has actually gone further away from being a first-choice player. Obviously, this is down to another injury and a long, Mm. long layoff. But before, he was like maybe third and then maybe second because he was ahead of Matip and then maybe third and then second because he was definitely ahead of Matip in the in the title winning season. But then he was third again. And this year he's very clearly fourth. Yeah. And it's not it's not actually close. It's close between second and third, but then there's a bit of a gap. So I That's do think the... that this is the first big sort of not backward step for for him, but in terms of him being a first team player. And see James has said there keep Gomez. Matip is thirty one soon. Gomez will get a lot more minutes next season. No he won't though. Because Gomez isn't Matip's backup. Gomez is Virgil's backup. And Virgil plays every league game, every Champions League game. So Joe Gomez will get the League Cup, the FA Cup, one Champions League group stage match, and maybe one league game in the whole season. That's That tops out at about 15 games as, as a starter. That's not that's not enough for him. For the for England's best centre-back, in my view. He's better than any of those, those who start. He's better than Stones. He's better than Maguire. He's better than Cody and Mings. He's better than Ben White and all the rest of them. That's not enough for him. Kanate is the one who will take Matip's spot. 
And then Matip becomes Kanate's backup, and that will extend Matip's career on. And Virgil's not going anywhere. Like, Thiago Silva's 37 and still good enough to play in the Premier League. There's no reason Virgil can't play at a very high level till 35, 36, 37. Joe Gomez is 30. And he'll have played 200 games in his career. He'll basically have been Wes Brown. Wes Brown had two seasons as a starter for United as well. In one of them, he made PFA Team of the Year. And in the other one, United won the league and Champions League double. And then he was back on the bench again after both of them. Like, that's what Joe Gomez is risking. He's becoming Wes Brown. The best move he could make and a team who could make good use of him if they were prepared to go big would be Spurs and play him on one of the sides of the three. Yeah, yeah. Joe Gomez on the right of a three would be... But then Conte likes um, likes Romero on the right of the three. Yeah, yeah, I know. He's been playing Ben Davies on the left. That's why I say if he played him even on that side, on the left... Yeah, true. Three, true, to be fair. Absolutely. To be fair. Um, Villa have obviously been credited with interest and him and Ezri Konza go back a long way. They came through the Charlton Academy together, so that might interest them. I mean, he'd be a perfect fit for Chelsea, but we won't sell him to Chelsea. Uh, in their back three. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame. Like, it is just very unfortunate that Joe has picked up the injuries he's picked up. And he's had he's had a lot of serious injuries. And I told everybody when the injury happened, do not expect Joe Gomez back next season at the level that he was at before the injury because this is a two-year injury. And this season was always going to be about him working his way back. The problem is that the gap, Matip has stepped up a level over the last six months. And Kanate has come in at a very, very high level. Like a very high level. And he's, what, three years younger than Joe? Like, I think we could sell Joe for 40, 45 million, go and buy a quality replacement for 25 to 30, and put the rest of that money towards doing something else. You know, Nico and Nash, the sale of them will cover the back of right back. And, and have money left over to, again, put into a pot to go and do something else. It might be that the best thing, that loaning Joe Gomez is not a good idea, because then we've got to go and buy someone anyway. Like, this is the thing. We can't just go, well, we've got Nat Phillips, let's put him as the fourth centre-back, because he's not good enough, and neither is Reese. If Joe leaves the club, it has to be on a permanent deal, and we have to buy somebody to replace him, because we have to have four high-caliber centre-backs. It's as simple as that. So if he comes, if he wants to stay brilliant, you'd be delighted to have him. If Joe Gomez is your fourth centre-back, you've probably got the best group of centre-backs in world football. But if Joe Gomez comes and asks to leave, you have to let him leave. Because you can't just let his career drift by. He doesn't want to be the next Wes Brown. Wes Brown was a very, very good player. Like People forget he was a really good player when he first broke through United. That guy has five league medals and two Champions League medals. But I guarantee you, the only ones he really thinks much of are <clears throat> the first one he won as a starter, and then the double in the 07-08 season. And the others are just things that he was there for. And Joe doesn't want to be that. He's got a league medal. He's got a Champions League medal. He didn't even make the bench for the cup final. Like he, That's not going to keep him happy. It just isn't going to keep him happy. Right, let's move on. West Ham United, Carl. 
in the Premier League. They are having, I think it's fair to say, a little bit of a wobble at the moment. Now, they did win their last game. They have won two of four and are unbeaten in four in the league. But when we look at their last, say, six weeks or so, they lost at home to a bad Leeds team. They lost away to a bad Manchester United team. They scraped by Watford 1-0 with a very fortunate goal. They drew 2-2 with a patchwork Leicester. They drew 1-1 at home with Newcastle, who, you know, are only recently removed from the bottom three. They did beat Wolves at the weekend, but it was a fairly scruffy goal to end a fairly tight game. In the Cup, they scraped by Kidderminster. It was an awful performance. And then they got dumped out of the Cup last night by Southampton and were pretty comprehensively outplayed by the Saints. This little wobble of of form, of performance level, not so much results, has come at a fairly bad time as that top four chase starts to condense. Wolves starting to drop out. Spurs kind of on the brink of dropping out. And if you're ranking West Ham, Arsenal and United, with Arsenal having those games in hand, you'd have to give them the edge. Is now a good time for Liverpool to be playing West Ham or a really dangerous time to be playing West Ham? Uh, since it's at home, I'd say good. I would be a lot more hesitant facing them at their ground, to be perfectly honest, when they need a, a bit of a result. Now, we did say about them on the podcast during the January transfer window and then again at the end, if they didn't sign someone at least to give a bit of uh, competition and shoulder some of the burden and goal scoring for Antonio, then they were going to be in trouble and it's going to be a bit of a wasted opportunity. They didn't, and it's since the middle of January, three wins in eight now for them across all competitions. And like you just mentioned, one of them was against Kidderminster. It doesn't really count. Um, I, I, I think if European football was you know, really big on the agenda for them, at least within the squad, if not actually the, the club hierarchy, then this was a real, real waste in January. I think it would have only taken maybe one really good attack and addition for them to, to keep pushing on. But as it is, they did drop off. They had you know trouble with um, finding someone who could not only shoulder the score and burden with Antonio, but also provide a bit of service at times for him. Because a couple of those games where they played, like the Man United game, the Kidderminster one, I didn't watch the whole game, but I saw the second half. It didn't create loads of great quality, to be perfectly honest. They beat Watford, but again, I wouldn't say that that was a game uh, of very, very much high quality chances that they created. They were reasonably comfortable I think after they scored they didn't really look like conceding but it's Watford and a Roy Hodgson team they never look like scoring um, it's it's just been a bit of a waste and then recently again because they'd not been winning all those games they've gone back to a, a back five or a back three whichever way you want to look at it because you know usual once you start not winning games and conceding a couple of goals then the manager maybe thinks that well put an extra man in defence and we'll see how that gets on now I can kind of understand it because they have the centre-backs fit again and that's probably a little bit more where they've got strength and depth rather than midfield where they basically had to play Suchek and Rice all season long or else be a second string midfield so it kind of makes sense to obviously to go where you've got strength and depth but again that has affected a lot of their build-up play Lanzini a lot more central now rather than him and Bowen on both sides uh, not so much of a look in now for Ben Rama just coming on as a sub that kind of thing so it has been again another bit of a change 
And to be perfectly honest, when teams don't normally play with a back three and then go to a back three for the Liverpool game, or just before the Liverpool game and this one in, in this case, it doesn't work out well for them more often than not. No, no, it doesn't. And the other thing with them playing a back three, and like they did it last night, if Aaron Cresswell's not playing, there isn't a left wing back to play. And Cresswell himself isn't ideal as a wing back in a back three. He's more comfortable as the left sided centre back. So it's not a formation that gets the best out of anybody. It's interesting. We, we did talk about it in the summer or in the, in January rather about, you know, their need to bring players in. But I was looking at the players that they have brought in. So Zuma has come in and he's become a starter. But Vlasic still hasn't gotten much of a, a proper run in the team. He's made 25 appearances, but the vast majority have been as a sub and a lot of them have been sort of shorter sub-appearances. Alex Kral came from Spartak Moscow in August, the end of August, uh, 31st of August. He has played more minutes this season for Spartak Moscow than he has for West Ham. He's only been given six games, six appearances this season. His one Premier League appearance was for less than a minute. More minutes for Spartak Moscow this season. Alphonse Ariola came in on loan, and for some reason he hasn't been able to get the the first team start over Fabianski, who isn't exactly a great keep, great goalkeeper. And you mentioned Ben Rama, and obviously they brought him in the previous summer. There was a lot of talk that Moyes didn't actually want him that the owners had done it because they'd missed on a couple of targets, that Moyes wasn't keen. Then they made it a permanent deal because they got him, I think, loan to buy or loan with an obligation, but they made it permanent early. And he got in the team and he was playing well. But as soon as Lanzini got fully fit again, he was out of the team. It it seems to me that David Moyes only trusts certain players. And like last night, they're playing an FA Cup fifth round They've got Liverpool on the weekend. They've got Europa League coming up. And they're still rolling Rice and Suchek out. And I don't know if you've watched much of them recently, Carl, but Thomas Suchek looks absolutely shattered. The guy was brilliant up until Christmas, and he has been dreadful ever since. He just looks knackered, like he hasn't had any kind of break. And it's because he hasn't. Him and Rice are being run into the ground because the only other two central midfielders at the club are Alex Kral, who the manager clearly doesn't fancy, and Mark Noble, who just can't play anymore. He's just not good enough, yet somehow he's still played 13 games in all competitions, but he just can't play. Like, it, I don't know what Moyes is doing with that squad, but he's not, he's not even making the most of what he has, let alone what he should have. No, and I think that... The big disappointment is that failure to integrate new players properly into the starting lineup, even to I mean, like you can have a season where a new sign and you know doesn't play a massive role or doesn't have a guaranteed starting spot or whatever, that's fine, but you've still got to presumably you're still bringing them in because they're part of a succession plan. I mean, what's the idea here for Kraut? If they lose Rice or Suchek this summer, and there's a good possibility that Rice at least goes, 
then the idea was to bring in Kral already ready as a replacement for him. Uh, what's he going to do now after one game? He's just going to come into the Premier League and suddenly be a perfect fit for them and a perfect um, replica of what Rice, uh, Rice brought to the team because he's watched from the sidelines all year. It's not going to happen that way. Uh, I, I am very disappointed, actually, at the lack of minutes for both him and Vlasic. And mm. I think that they are two players who should have really helped West Ham take on not to the next level because they probably got there anyway, to be perfectly honest, but at least be ready to go again and be prepared to stay at the level that they are. As it is, I struggle to see them match in this level if they lose like one or two of their key players uh, across the summer because all the others like you know Spurs and Arsenal that you mentioned who have been battling with them for the top four, they're going to improve again. They're, yeah. they're, they're carrying on to bring in players and really integrate them. Arsenal had a mid-season clear out of half of the players they didn't want. So they're obviously going to have room for bringing in a couple of new players who are then going to be integrated in the same way as Tommy Asu has, as the same way as Ben White has, um, you know, a handful of the others. And Spurs, well, we know Conte will just bin anybody he doesn't want immediately and bring in any other people. So you have got to have that element of turnover across the season. It's been a bit weird to see him rely on basically 14 players all across the season. Um, and like I say, chopping back to the back three, it didn't really work for them before. You can kind of understand because they because of the numbers that they had. But I mean, ending up with Fornals as your left wing back the other day, Is that's not how you play a wing back. That's not what you do in a wing back situation. L- least of all, if you want to actually play with Fornals in the team. Like, surely if you're going to play that situation, that, that formation, and you don't have a wing back to play there, and you look around at the rest of your players... You might want to look at like someone with a bit of pace, maybe someone who's left-footed. Like Jared Bowen would have made more sense as the left wing back than Pablo Fernals. But I'm just looking here, like so Vlasic, 25 appearances this season. He's only played for West Ham 1,094 minutes. He's played as almost as many minutes. He's played. 382 minutes in the Premier League in 14 appearances. So work that out among yourselves as to whatever that is as an average. He played 305 minutes in the Russian League at the beginning of the season. Like he's been there all year. He's barely played more league minutes than he did in Russia this season. Same thing. And like I said, Kral played more minutes for uh, Spartak than he has for West Ham. How do you, if you're David Moyes, and maybe you love what you're seeing from Kral and training, and maybe this is part of a master plan. But how do you go to your owner in the summer and say, you know that fellow that we've had on loan that I haven't played at all? Well, I need 15 million to go and buy him permanently now. How do you justify that to your owner? Or if Rice does leave, how do you say, we have the replacement, this is the guy. Well, why didn't he play at all? Like, it's just so strange. Ariola is clearly a better goalkeeper than Fabianski. Vlasic is worth playing regularly because he's a very good player. Now, he doesn't necessarily have to be a starter, but he should have had more than a 1,000 minutes across all the competitions. And Alex Kral, I mean, how is Mark Noble playing more than him? West Ham were dreadful, you'll remember, under Pellegrini. Moyes took over and saved their season. Then they had the good season last year, and then they've had a good season this year. And all of that coincided with Moyes making the decision to drop Mark Noble. 
two years ago, he dropped Mark Noble. And West Ham went from relegation fodder to a top half team. Now, it's not all on Mark Noble, obviously, but he was dragging the level down because he can't play anymore. He was never all that good to begin with. He's just a cockney lad who works hard. He's never a particularly good player. And yet he's playing more than the fella who's a Czech international who could have stayed at Spartak or could have gone elsewhere but chose to come to you because you made him promises that you've now broken. And if you try and sign him in the summer, he'll likely tell you where to go because why would he want to stay there? It is a weird one, and you can almost understand that the fear behind changing. I mean, if you think about other clubs like Arsenal or Tottenham or whatever, when might they bring in a player who is on the fringes to give them a real chance, you know, against, let's say it'd be um, a Norwich, a Watford, um, a Brentford, maybe an Everton, any of those crap teams down the bottom, you know? Mm. The thing is that if West Ham do it for those games and it costs them, that that wrecks their chances of going for fourth, fifth, sixth, because those are the games where they have had to win. That's where their 13 wins have come from. It's not been, you know, unlikely surprise, consistent wins against the top three and four. You know, they beat Liverpool fine, but in general, you're not looking at those games as to where all their victories are going to have come from. That has been their bread and butter this season. It's beaten the teams who they should be. It's beaten all the teams who they think are going to finish in the bottom half, that kind of thing. You know, earlier on in the season, it was Newcastle and they hammered Leicester when we didn't really realise that Leicester were about to have a terrible season. They beat Leeds quite early on in the season, if I remember, when, again, we didn't really realise that Leeds were about to embark on a terrible season. So it's all those kind of teams who mostly they have beaten throughout the season. And if they were to rotate Rice and that kind of player out of the side for those games, would they definitely win them? And if they did, would they even be in that running for fourth and fifth and sixth? So maybe that's where his fear comes from, but it's still not good management across the season. If you're not going to do it in one set of games, you've got to do it for the other ones. And it's not enough to just say, we'll do it in Europe and that's it. You could have started them in the cup. You could have started Alex Kral in the cup. You know, just... I don't know. It's it's really poor. Uh, coming into this game, they have injury problems. So Vladimir Sufal is out. He's had a hernia. So Ben Johnson will start it right back. Uh, Aaron Cresswell should be back. He had a bit of a knock. Uh, Suchek is a doubt. He had stitches in a head wound. Uh, Mark Noble has a doubt. That's a plus. Yarmolenko is obviously not playing at the moment. Ryan Fredericks is injured. Ogbonna is injured and Masawaka is injured. So they'll be hoping Cresswell is back. If he is, he'll be at left back. Johnson at right back. I assume it'll be Dawson and Zuma at centre back. Uh, Again, I'm a little bit unsure as to why we haven't seen Zuma and Diop play together. Because anytime I watch Dawson, he always looks like he's about to commit an error. The His defending on both the penalty he gave away last night and the third goal is among the worst you'll ever see. Um, but I assume that'll be the back four with Fabianski in goal, Rice and Suchek, Bowen right wing, Fornals left wing and Lanzini behind Antonio. Are you expecting anything different from them? Only if they start with the three again. I mean, we've not seen Creswell play left wing back as such, but he could certainly be the, the left-sided centre-back again as he was, uh, was it last weekend or the weekend before that? Mm. 
uh, and they had Fornals as the left wing back, which I think is horrendous. It's and very exciting if you're Trent Alexander-Arnold. Yeah. <laughs> Not just Trent, but Salah. You know, after he was locked down last week by Alonso, I thought defended pretty well in terms of like being positionally in the mm. right place to stop the big crossfield passes. Obviously, good aerially. He's always going to get there before Salah. Well, if you replace Alonso's height and um, defensive positioning with Tuchel shouting at him all the time with Baro Fornals, who is effectively an attacking midfielder, well, that's good. And Rudiger habitually marks and bullies Salah. So Creswell, again, in, in his place, that's that's two big upgrades for Salah. He might be in line for a much better weekend if that's the case. Yeah, I mean, that's possible. It is very possible that they do go with a back three. And if they do, I think they're they're opening themselves up to get a bit of a slapping, to be honest. I think it would be very, very foolish to do that. Um, you're also... I, I just... I don't think Bowen is in any way as effective when he plays in a central role as he does when he starts wide, starts deep and can run at people and run in behind them and has big areas of space to play in. When he plays central... He's not as confident with his back to goal. He doesn't have great awareness of what, what's around him. Tends to get himself caught offside too often. From deep, he's got a much better game. Um, for Liverpool then, what, what are you expecting? Uh, do you think the midfield in the week is a, against Norwich is a sign of players that won't start? So, for example, in that game... Liverpool started with Ox, Henderson and Curtis Jones as the midfield three. Was that maybe a hint that none of them will start against West Ham? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, obviously we'll wait and see about Curtis Jones because he came off at half-time and apparently that was a bit of a thigh issue. If he was okay, I wouldn't be surprised to see him start again. I thought he had a really good first half while he was on the pitch. Mm. Uh, I do think probably Henderson comes out because he started the last two so presuming they want him to play against Inter Milan, this would be the match that he comes out for because he's not going to play weekend, midweek, weekend, midweek again. Um, Fabinho obviously back in for sure. I think, I think to be honest, if Jones is fit, Jones and Allison would be the only two who stay in the side. So you would you go with Jones, Fabinho and Naby then as the midfield yeah. three? Yeah. If, if Jones is fit, then yes. Yeah, I'd be happy with that. I would be not, happy with that. If he's not Elliot, Fabinho and Naby? Yeah, or Milner. Why would you say that? Because... Why would you, we almost got through a whole podcast without <laughs> you upsetting me. And now you've upset me. Why would I'm you suggest sorry. that? Because when Milner plays, he usually plays like two or three in a row. I thought he played well at right back. I'll ask you to go back and look at the late chance they had. Yeah, okay. Which which Liverpool fullback it was that that (laughs) winger ghosted by as if he wasn't even there. That was when they brought on someone with a bit of pace and very, very late on in the game. So, yes. What do you think Jared Bowen's going to do when he gets inside of him? He's going to go, I'll play over there, lads. No, he won't. He'll be on the other side of the pitch. He's He's going to play if he plays in a three, he's in a front two. He's going to drop off to the left. And say, well, I'll, oh, I'll take fullback. I've uh, said he'd be in midfield. But anyway. Oh, it's even worse. Declan Rice running past him, charging forward with the ball at his feet. No thanks. If Henderson and Jones don't play, I wouldn't be utterly shocked to see Milner start. You're a horrible I'm man. Saying. You're I'm a horrible not man. Look, look at you upsetting all the listeners now. People <laughs> are there. Look, look at them there. In tears they are. 
the poor listeners, they come on to spend their afternoon with us. You've got old King Calder. The poor fella's devastated. Drop the mic. You can hear the tears coming out from his end. Savala, I mean, the, the poor chap is devastated. Lisa Marie can't believe what she's hearing. Will, look at look at Will. Look, he's about to die at your suggestion. And Tom James, he's, he gave up on you ages ago. He told me privately. He said, I don't even listen to the fella anymore. It's just dreadful to hear and that you should be ashamed of yourself. But what about up front then, Carl? What do you think happens up front? Is it the three who started the cup final? Or did Diogo Jota or Taki Minamino do enough last night to potentially stay in the team? I think at this point, given the comments and the um, the hashtag which has just started in the room as we record this live chat, my only option now is to decide that our forward line should be um, Robbie Fowler, Luis Suarez and Fernando Torres. The Daniel Sturridge ultras are fuming at this suggestion. Absolutely <laughs> living so they are. Simon Brundish has just lost whatever was left of his hair somewhere. Um, <laughs> I, I, my assumption is he'll go with the, the three that started the cup final and Jota will get run off the bench and maybe Taki does as well. Uh, it looks like Bobby is still out this weekend. Uh, Thiago obviously is out this weekend and Jones is a doubt, but they're hopeful that he's okay. Um, yeah, look, it should be a good game. I mean, they are a good team. What, what do you make of them, actually, just overall as a team? Like, do, are they a team that you enjoy watching? Are you a team that a team? Are they a team that you think have overachieved this season? Do you think potentially this is a team that could go on and win the Europa League? I know they got Sevilla, which is probably the hardest draw, but like, do you think is there silverware in this group of players? Uh, no, yes, no, in order. Uh, I don't enjoy watching them all that much, to be honest. There there are some games which are pretty good, but overall the style is like, it's neither all counter-attacking nor all direct. It's it's a bit of a mix, which I can appreciate is a, a decent thing for them. And they're quite good at reacting to whichever situation the game requires. I've seen them be reasonably compact and um, quite happy to defend and then just break and if they get the lead they'll just sit back and some of the time they're just ridiculously dangerous a counter-attack and really really direct play if Antonio was up for it in particular they can be a, a very very difficult team to defend against but I can't say I honestly enjoy watching them I don't it, it can be quite quite stale at times and quite predictable in terms of what they do it's just it works quite well for them which is perfectly fine um, silverware in the Europa League I, I don't think so I think that they have overachieved in the first half of the season and mm. what we're seeing now is the fact that it's very very difficult to do that across an entire campaign if you don't have other players who are on the same par as the team who you know, you've know you used across the course of that uh, first half or first two thirds of the season um, I mean if you look at the squads that some of the other Europa League sides have and the squads how much of them that they actually use I mean, look at Leipzig, for example. They've they've rebounded really well recently. Barcelona are coming much, much more into what you would think would be capable of with the players that they've got. Um, I mean, Rangers just knocked out Borussia Dortmund. I wouldn't think that West Ham would knock out Borussia Dortmund, for example. I don't think they'll get past Sevilla, to be perfectly honest. Lyon, Porto, there's far too many good sides who have better used squads than West Ham have done this season. Yeah, I, I think you've absolutely nailed that, to be fair. I think there's games, specific games, where you can watch them and Moyes gets his tactics absolutely spot on. And there's really impressive little tactical nuances that you'll spot in the game. Like, the way that they press is never is never reckless. They don't press 
to either try and win the ball or force you all the way back. But they force you back in stages when it works. When it doesn't work, it can be a bit of a mess. But then there's games you watch them play and you're like, what are they actually trying to accomplish here? Like, aside from let's try and pin the opposition on our left side and then switch the play to Bowen and let him run 25 yards and hope he can either get a shot off or find Antonio. What are they actually trying to accomplish here? Uh, They're a bit of a weird team. I have two more things for you before we... Actually, three more things before we go. Give me a prediction for this game. Um, 3-1. I think it'll be a yeah, bit also sticky like to... at times, but eventually we'll, we'll have the attack and options to break through enough times. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair shout. I think that's a fair shout. I think 3-1 is a good call. I'll go 4-1. If they play that back three, I think, like you said earlier on, I think Salah's going to have himself a good old time going up against Cresswell and Fornals, um, both playing out of position, neither overly comfortable and neither really blessed with much pace. Um, before we go, I have three things I wanted to talk to you about very quickly. Number one, I'd like to bring to your attention what's now taking place in the chat as we do this. Your suggestion of playing James Milner has led to ridiculousness, such as Milner left wing, Henderson left side, centre midfield, Ox up front, and Nathaniel Klein brought back to the club. So that's your doing. But that's not what, not what I want to talk about. I'm going to allow you to take a victory lap. And I, I want you to take this victory lap with your full chest out, Carl. Because you called it about two years ago on these podcasts that Christopher Nkunku was going to explode at some point and become one of the most sought-after attackers in world football. And in 2,926 minutes, so less than 3,000 minutes this season, he has put together 25 goals and 13 assists while playing a multitude of positions. His transfer market value, not that you put much faith in that, has risen from 29 million a year ago to 49 million now. Uh, he is arguably the best player in the Bundesliga this season. And you called it long before anyone else was taking notice. So take yourself a victory lap, son, and tell people why Liverpool should buy him in the summer. <laughs> oh, I, honestly, I've, I've been trying to make the case. And since we signed Diaz, it's a bit more difficult, to be honest, because obviously left side of the attackers is one of the roles that he's really, really thrived in. But, 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 if the changes that you've spoken about in midfield do happen, like Cater leaving as well, for example. Uh, he could be the eight. He could be the attack-minded eight in that area of the pitch. Not a problem. And we would see a whole lot of stuff from him. And his versatility and the amount of uh, formation changes, let's say, that he has been exposed to over the last two seasons alone with Leipzig under mm. Jesse Marsh, under Tedesco and under uh, Nagelsmann. I mean... He can play any role. He can play absolutely any role. Thomas just asked, uh, would someone have to leave for us to go game? Yes, 100%. I, I Mane. Don't see that would, probably, yeah. It would probably be I think Mane, Mane would have to midfielder. go. Uh, if but, Mane left... Actually, there's a question. Would you sell Sadio Mane with a year left in his contract to buy Christopher Nkunku? Or would you extend Mane knowing that there's a potential decline coming and that it kind of has already started, but he's still producing the numbers, but his performances aren't at the same level. 
You can only have one at the club next year in Kunku or Mane. Who do you take? Now and don't don't let your Liverpool have Liverpool heart read it. Huh? Now who's upset and who? Well <clears throat> look, I would, I would. <laughs> Revenge I is would. a dish best served cold and all that good stuff. <laughs> it's not that cold, is it? Only mildly warm at the minute. Yeah. Um I would probably say yes to selling Sadio Mane only because we have to at some point we have to get some funds in for at least one of those three. And as I've said before, I would I don't think that there's enough market value to warrant even considering selling Firmino even before Same. you think about what he can still give Liverpool. So I would renew him and run him into the ground as long as he's happy to stay here. Uh, Salah, I think we should renew because I think that, that is an elite level player still for the forthcoming three seasons at least. Um, Mane, I think actually, as I've said over the last couple of couple of months and a couple of podcasts, certainly that if he is to be renewed, I think he'll be a number nine for mm. you know the foreseeable future. And I think that absolutely we could get a hell of a lot more out of him there. But then you're probably looking at all three of them having minimal or no resale value at all by the end of that next contract or when you sell them as a 32, 33-year-old. And I think probably for the regeneration of the, the team as a whole, we can't keep only selling you know the, the Ryan Kents and Marco Gruches of the world to fund one canal. Yeah, because we don't have Chelsea's academy. Yeah. No, so, it, it won't. It won't be enough eventually. I mean, I saw the CIES report came out last week. I think it was, and Liverpool were like seventh or eighth or something like that on the. It's basically a list of how much your academy has generated in sales for the club over the last. I think it was five or six years. I can't remember now. And Liverpool were like I say about seventh, something like that. But about sixty percent of the income was off the one sale of Raheem Sterling. Yeah, one. Uh, it doesn't happen all the time, you know, very, very rarely. And two, and two I'm not even sure. Yeah, he's not, I wouldn't even be sure to, to class him as an academy graduate, you know. And I guarantee so, you another big chunk of that was Jordan Ibe, who we also bought mm-hmm. from Wickham Wanderers for a million quid and sold him for 15. Yeah, so, I mean, it could happen, you know, once in a while. Maybe you get a, I don't know, a few years down the line, a 10 million um, Musialovsky sale or something like that, or a 20 million one, fine, but you still have to regenerate the actual first team as well with other first mm. team players. So yes, just from a purely numbers perspective and trying to make things balance, obviously there's the the age gap there as well. Quality wise, in Kunku for me, I've, like you said, I've, for years, I have no doubt at all he will be one of France's top performers and you can put any of their current players outside of Kylian Mbappe into that conversation, whether it's Coleman or Dembele or... I don't care any of them. He is as good and if not better for all of them. And so, yes, I would be very, very happy to to bring him into the club for a huge, huge amount of money. And I do definitely think that Leipzig would ask for upwards of 70 for him, probably 80 million euro and above. Um, so we sell Sadio and we offer them, sell Sadio for 50 and offer them Sadio and Nabi for Nkunku. They can take Naby back. They can sell him again in a year and make another big ball of money. And, and he just replaces both of them. Um, you know, and Kunku is, is the same. He's a 97 birth, so the same year as Luis Diaz. So you're putting those two together for the long term. You've also obviously got Diogo Jota, who was born in late 96. So you're seeing the three of them plus Salah. And as Salah ages and maybe we play him a little bit less, there's your new front three, Jota and Kunku and Diaz, with Salah obviously as the still as a starter. But you know the the, the process is there, the plan is there. You, you'd have Kate Gordon developing, 
You'd still have Bobby, like you said, to run him into the ground. You have Tacky. You'd be in really good shape. Um, I, I would do it. I would do it personally. Last thing before we go, uh, you mentioned him twice already. Jesse Marsh, I know you're a fan. He has been appointed manager of Leeds. Uh, what do you think of the appointment and do you think he can get them out of the hole they have dug for themselves? Is it just a matter of getting players fit again, Phillips, Bamford, etc., or is he going to have to change things big time? Oh, yeah, he has to change things big time because his whole approach is very, very different uh, in terms of the positional play, the the marking, um, you know, the construction play even. I mean, So you're saying he's uh, not you know, going to commit to man-to-man marking all <laughs> over the pitch? Not, maybe not all over the pitch, no. He might might just ask Luke Ayling, just stay at right back and we'll see how it goes from there. <laughs> um, I, look, I, lo- I do. I love Jesse Marsh and I really hope that he makes a good go of it, but I think this is a very, very big and brave move for him and for Leeds as well because this is not just tactically and not just in terms of you know the personality of the coach and that, but culturally, this is going to be a, a huge, huge change. I mean, you're talking about a manager now who, after the last what seven years, is for the first time coming out of the actual uh, comfort zone, if you like, the whole ecosystem of the Red Bull football enterprise, because that's where he's been as a head coach and as an assistant and as a as a, an observer coach and as a coach obviously in the US and in Europe but this is just completely different the not just the league not just the fan base is different but the entire representation of of how the the supporters obviously inside the, the stadium how they how they've been connecting with Bielsa over the last few years I wouldn't put it on the same scale but it's not a million miles different to let's say when Ferguson left United for example because they had such a big connection with him that whoever came in afterwards was going to fail because they you know Anyone coming in after Arsene Wenger was not going to have the same relationship with the supporters. I struggle to see how or what he has to do, certainly across the rest of this season, which is going to make or allow him to bond with the Leeds fans, who can be a very vociferous bunch, let's say, um, in the way that they do with Marcelo Bielsa. It's it's a complete change for Leeds. There will be some crossover, obviously, in terms of you know the pressing and the energy that he'll bring to the team, that kind of thing, but playing style wildly different and first and foremost he's obviously got to stop them conceding 7,000 goals a match <laughs> yeah I mean look the, the the fact that he's replacing Bielsa is is the toughest part from the the connection point of view I mean we all talk about the connection of Liverpool fans and Klopp the Leeds fans have that same connection with Bielsa they do and for Leeds fans Bielsa has done as much for them as Klopp has done for us Klopp won us a league title Bielsa got them back in the Premier League after 15 years floating about in the lower leagues. Bielsa brought them back to the Premier League. And not just that, but they thrived in that first season. They adore him. He's given everything he has for the last four years. And I have to say, my heart did break when I heard the news. When, when, I, when the news broke that he was gone, it, it did really. It hit me because I don't particularly like Leeds. I don't certainly don't like their fans, but I love him. And I love the job he's done there. And I find it so amusing that a guy from Argentina who's been all over the world spent the longest portion of his club career manager uh, tenure at Leeds United, was living in a small village in Yorkshire and just loving his life, just loving his life. There's loads of different stories about him coaching under 11 teams of a Monday evening in a local park. Uh, He had relationships with all these local people who... He'd do little things for, they'd do bits for him. There was a pilot who lives in the area 
who used to fly back and forth to South America once a month, and he'd bring him back coffee and biscuits that he liked from Argentina and Chile, and Bielsa sought him out once he got sacked to thank him for everything. It's it's just it's a wonderful story Bielsa at Leeds. It was going to come to an end at some point. I'm just it upsets me as a football fan that it happens in this manner. I think there needs to be a massive turn and eyes need to be cast further inward at Victor Orta for the failures of that squad and how how light he left Bielsa in certain places. And Jesse Marsh is about to have, uh, you know, a, a big set of shoes to fill. I think the fans will hopefully give him time because, like you said, they can be a rather leery bunch. They can turn on a manager fairly quick. But you'd hope that they won't turn on Biel- on, on Marsh just because he's not Bielsa and that they'll judge him on his own work. You'd imagine that Marsh has, has been given assurances that if they go down, he's not going to get fired. It won't be placed on him. Um, and I, I do think he'll do very well there if given time and given backing. And he'll need backing because that squad needs a lot of work. Um, and if they go down, obviously they'll lose Rafinha, they'll lose Phillips, they may lose both anyway. And that money will need to be reinvested. But um, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting one. It's it's certainly good to have a new manager coming to the Premier League. And I also think it's really good that we've seen Leeds and Newcastle and other clubs make changes, managerial changes this season, and not just go for Big Sam or Tony Pulis or Neil Warnock or any of those. Like I know Watford went for Hodgson, and but Watford are the stupidest club in England. I think it's a really positive sign that clubs are looking outside of what's under their nose and going and getting the best possible candidates. And Jesse Marsh is, in all likelihood, the best possible candidate that Leeds could have gotten. And it seems like they'd been zeroed in on him as for a while, potentially for the summer, because there had been talk that Bielsa could go in the summer. That would have been four years completed. That's probably as long as he would want to stay. And probably as long as players can actually play for him before they just get, you know, worn out, run down, whatever. Um, so, yeah, look, we've played them twice already, so we don't. it doesn't affect us how they do. So hopefully Leeds do really well between now and the end of the season. And, you know, Jesse Marsh can, can prove what he can do. There will be some dickhead that will make a Ted Lasso, a Ted Lasso uh, comparison if they do something silly, but such is life. Anything you want to plug before we go? I will um, plug first of all my my love of random aff- affiliations and first look at uh, Jesse Marsh's start and his first games for Leeds are going to be against former Liverpool manager Brendan Rodgers with Leicester and then Brendan Rodgers' former captain at Liverpool Stephen Gerrard against Aston Villa and then his next game is against Aston Villa's former manager Dean Smith at Norwich so that's very very nice isn't it um, apart from that I've got a big a deep dive sort of piece on Newcastle United. They're basically out of the relegation fight now. They're at the top of that little mini league after four wins and five. Doesn't look like they're going to be having any trouble at all to stay up over the last 12 games or so. So I've had a look at uh, basically the numbers behind what they've done, uh, where their big improvements have come and basically what the next steps for them are. And I've got a couple of pieces for European stuff as well, looking at uh, big games in Germany, Italy, and a lovely little line I got from the South of Ego president who has basically had a lovely big go at Barcelona and Real Madrid for turning down the CBC agreement in La Liga. 
There you go. So follow Carl on Twitter at Carl Matchett. Read his work on The Independent and This Is Anfield. Follow Guy Drinkle at Guy Drinkle. Listen to the Two-Footed Podcast every day at 4pm and the Daily Red every day at lunchtime. And we'll see you next week for Inter Milan and beyond. Take care of yourselves. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.